summary of the Sikha. The Pasuk in this week's Parsha about the mitzvah of Chala, the Pasuk says, the first of your dough, Chala you shall separate, uh, you shall separate, um, like the truma of the grain, so also you shall separate Chala. So Rashi explains what does it mean like the like the, the truma of the grain. Just like by the truma of grain, it doesn't say an amount. There's no minimum amount of how much truma you have to give. As distinct from trumas meiser, which is the truma that the Levian have to give, which is given an amount. They have to give 10%. But the regular truma is without an amount. So also chala is without an amount. There's no minimum amount. But the Chachamin, says Rashi, did give an amount. They said that a householder has to give 1 in 24, about 4%, and a baker has to give 1 in 48%. Sorry, 1 of 48, which means 2%. So we have to understand about this Rashi. Rashi, of course, only explains things which are pertain, are pertinent to the Pshutosh Omirka, to the simple understanding of the uh, the of the Pasuk, not matters of halacha and so on. So therefore, why does he explain over here about this thing that there is uh, there is an amount for chala, or there's no amount for chala, the Chachamim gave an amount for chala. So we can understand the first few words where he says, where he's explaining what the Torah means by the words like the truma of grain. So Rashi explains what he means by that, the Pasuk means by that, that there is no amount for the truma of grain. So that can be understood, but why does he have to add the Chachamim did give an amount? And even going into how much the amount is for a baker and how much it is for a householder, what do we need that for? And even for some reason, Rashi feels that it's important to know how much that is, and therefore he gives us how much the householder has to give, but why does he have to go on to add even a baker, which is only a, you know, only happens once in a while, why does he have to give that as well? And in general, the, there seems to be a contradiction. First Rashi says that there is no amount. Then he goes on to say that, that the Chachamim did give an amount. So either there's no amount or the Torah says that there should not be an amount because it says Cain, that's how it should be as the truma of Geiren, of the, uh, of the grain. So, so then why does Rashi say that there is an amount given? And even if Rashi does want to give the amount that the Chachamim gave, it would seem that it would be more fitting to say it in the next Rashi, in the next Pasuk, where it says, truma, You shall give to Hashem a Truma. Rashi explains over there that since the, we, there is no, we haven't heard an amount for Chala, so there, the Torah hasn't stated an amount for Chala, therefore he says, Titnu, that you should give it, it should be something worthwhile to give. In other words, there should be some substantial amount that has to be given. So it would seem that over there, Rashi should explain that, yes, the Chachamim did give an amount, which is 1 in 24 or 1 in 48. That's where that would seem to belong. And since Rashi is already giving us, for whatever reason, he decided that he should tell us the amount, the difference between a householder and a, a baker, why doesn't he give the reason that there is a difference between the householder and the baker, as the Sifri does in fact give the difference? But Rashi doesn't, so it would seem that somehow this is self-explanatory and Rashi doesn't have to explain it, so we have to understand what is that explanation. So, the explanation. 
Rashi starts out by saying that the Torah states that it's like truma, which doesn't have an amount, and therefore even the slightest amount can be given as challah, can be separated as challah, and that would be enough. But then the question comes up, the Pasuk says, The first of your dough, challah you shall give as a separation. So Rashi explains, you should take one loaf of this truma for Hashem. And Rashi explains what does challah mean? What is challah? He explains that it means a loaf in French. He gives the word French, torta, like a small tart, as a loaf. Uh, that's what it means, a loaf. So the question is, there seems to be a contradiction right there. The Pasik doesn't give an amount and then goes on to explain it as a challah, as a loaf. A loaf is an amount. Is it a substantial amount? Yes, we don't know how exactly how large it is, but it's no longer crumbs. It's already a loaf. So there is an amount that has to be given. Therefore, Rashi is saying, because the Torah, which doesn't give an amount, then goes on to describe it as a loaf, that's why the Chachamim said that the loaf that is meant over here means 1 in 24. They, they gave definition to that loaf. It's 1 in 24 or 1 in 48. Because the Torah seems to say that it should be a challah, which means something substantial, even though the Torah doesn't define what that substantial is, that's why the, the Chachamim decided to give it an amount, a fixed amount that you have to give. But if Rashi would leave it at that, that the Chachamim said, gave it a, a you know, there's a certain amount, one might think that when the Torah says challah, it should be a, a, a loaf, maybe the Torah has in mind that just like by Karbonus, the Torah gives a fixed amount for how large each loaf should be. By the Karbamincha or different Karbonus, it says how much it should be. So maybe over here too, the mitzvah of challah is, it has a defined amount. You have to give a challah the size of whatever it is. However much you're baking, the, the amount of challah has to be a certain defined amount. That was what you might think. So Rashi comes along and he says, no, the uh, amount that the Chachamim said is a percentage of how much you are baking. It's one twenty-fourth of the amount that you are baking. That's why he feels that he has to need to explain that. Otherwise, you might think that it was a fixed amount. So Rashi says, no, it's a percentage of what you're baking. Now, since the whole thing comes from the fact that the Torah calls it a challah, which means it's a loaf, which get, means that it has to be a substantial amount, even though the Torah didn't give an amount. The whole thing comes from the word challah. So since it comes from the word challah, we can now understand on our own, without Rashi having to explain it, why there is a difference between a baker and a householder. When a householder bakes, he's, the person is baking for the family. So it's generally a larger amount, which is enough for the family, and the most important also is that the entire loaf of the challah will be used for the family. You benefit, you enjoy the entire challah that you're, or the entire bread that you are baking. A baker, he only, first of all, he bakes various uh, different sizes. Some people want a small loaf, some people want a larger loaf. So he's also baking small amounts. In addition to that, the baker only gets to enjoy a small percentage of the loaf that he's baking because 
he has to deduct the amount that it costs for the flour and for the wood, for the fuel, for the brent and whatever else goes into baking a challah. And he only gets the profit, so therefore his take of the challah is a much smaller amount than what a householder gets, which is enjoying the entire challah. That's why it's understood that a baker only has to give less, a smaller percentage of the amount, the full amount that he's baking, because he only gets to enjoy a smaller amount of what he's baking. Another explanation, another reason the Rebbe explains why Rashi also includes the amount that the baker has to give is because when you divide the the minimum amount for a, a, a dough that you have to give challah from is 43 eggs, and the sarin is for an oimer, is just an oimer is 43 eggs so when you take 1 24th of that it comes out that it's close to 2 eggs worth so if Rashi would have simply stated how much the householder has to give it would seem as if the minimum amount of importance because challah means importance and that's the amount that has to be given so you would think that the minimum amount of importance seems to be close to 2 eggs when we know that in many other almost all other cases it's an egg's worth is enough of an important amount. All the other shiurim seem to be closer to an egg or even less uh, to a kezayah sometimes. So therefore Rashi says, no, it also in the, the baker gives one in 148, which is much uh, even less than an egg. So he wants to show that we're not negating by this thing, by this shear, all other importance of an egg. It just depends on what the context is and who's giving it. Other extraordinary ideas that we can get out of this Rashi is this. There is a discussion in different uh, commentaries on Rashi to explain the contradiction between the two Rashis. First Rashi says that the Torah doesn't give an amount for Chala. Then he goes on to say that Tit that it has to be something of value that can be given. So that seems to be contradiction. Does the Torah require an amount or does it not require an amount? So different people, are diff- different commentaries answer it in different ways. The Mizrahi says that the, <coughs> the amount, the titnu, is only, it's not a Torah law. The Torah just gives a support. You find support in the Torah that it needs to be substantial as the Chachamim said that it needs to be substantial. They found a word in the Torah to support their opinion. The Guraria says that the giving of something substantial is just lemitzvah, like a mitzvah and a mufchar. But you could be yoytze even with the slightest amount. The Neidah Behuda gives a more thorough and elaborate explanation. He says that there are two ideas, there are two uh, components to the mitzvah of challah. One is that you have a piece of dough which is tevel, which is not permitted to be eaten without giving challah. So you have to separate some challah, which now allows you to eat the rest of the dough. It's no longer considered tevel. Then there is that you have to, the second component is that you have to give that challah to the koyim. So here he says there is a difference. As far as separating the challah so that the rest of the dough is now permitted to be eaten, for that it's enough, even a slight amount, even a mashu. Even a tiny amount already clears the rest of the dough for that you can that it's permitted to be eaten. Then the Torah goes along and it comes along and says titnu that when you're the part where you're giving it to the kayan, the Torah requires that it should be something substantial that you're giving to the kayan. 
for that component you need to give something that is called giving what is that amount? it's one twenty-fourth of an isarain which means two eggs worth because that's the minimum amount of a challah of, the, of a dough for, for which you have to give challah a twenty-fourth of that as the Chachamim explained that it is is because the Torah requires that you always give two eggs worth approximately two eggs worth as challah regardless of how much you're baking even if you're baking a hundred pounds all you have to give is two eggs worth that's the shear then came along the Chachamim and they said that it should the giving of the challah should be in accordance a percentage of what you're baking so if you're giving you're baking 100 pounds you should give a 24th of 100 pounds that's the Chachamim's um, imposition on this halacha but the Torah also requires that you should give a substantial amount what's called Nesina and that is 1 24th of of an Isarin of an Aymer that's why Rashi separates it when he talks about separating the challah he says there's no shear even at the, the tiniest amount but when he talks about giving it then he says already that it has to be something of subs- something of substance so that's how the Neide Behud explained it but when you look at Rashi at least from the perspective of Shudrash Mikra, he seems to see it differently because he explains that even in the separation part that when we talk about the separation of the challah in order to clear the rest of the dough for eating there he also says that the Torah calls it challah which means a loaf which means that even there it has to be substantial that it can't be just a few crumbs and that's enough for even the separation part and he explains that when the Chachamim gave an amount it's, it's not connected to how much you have to give to the Kayin. He explains it in the Rashi in which he talks about for separating the Chala. There he says that there is a, an amount that the Chachamim required. So he feels, Rashi seems to feel that even in the separation part, the Torah requires a, an amount of substance which can be called a loaf. In fact, the entire the idea that it has to be given to the Kayin is not even discussed in this parsha at all. Here it only talks about the separation process. Only in parsha Kairach does the Torah tell us that the Chala that you separated has to go to the Kayin. In this, pas- in this parsha, it's simply talking about the separation. And over there, the Rashi um, sees it as there is a minimum requirement just to satisfy the word Chala, which means a loaf, which the Torah requires to explain the inner dimension of the mitzvah of challah which, and also as it comes out from this Rashi the Medrash says why does the Torah juxtapose the mitzvah of challah with the next parasha which talks about if somebody were to worship the carbon that he has to bring what's the connection between these two and says that if somebody fulfills the mitzvah of challah it's as if he neutralized Avedazara and anyone that doesn't keep the mitzvah of challah, it's as if he substantiates Avedazarah. So first of all, we have to understand, what is the connection between challah and Avedazarah, that one, you know, either negates it or substantiates it. Challah seems to be a simple act of giving a little bit of dough to the kayan, and Avedazarah is one of the central themes of the Torah. It's a foundational mitzvah 
What's the connection between the two, and what, and and also how are they connected? Also, the way the medrash phrases it, that if someone fulfills the mitzvah of challah, they are neutralizing avodah If they don't, they're substantiating it. It makes it seem as if the fact that avodah exists is there before you start whether you're doing challah or not. You either can neutralize it because it already existed; you can neutralize it, or you substantiate it. Why doesn't he just simply say, if you keep, um, if you keep the mitzvah of chalitz, as if you deny Avodah Zarah. If you don't keep the mitzvah of chalitz, as if you are worshipping Avodah Zarah, or you recognize Avodah Zarah. Why is it as if it's a given that Avodah Zarah exists, and you can affect the, what happens from now? Either it gets neutralized, or more substantiated. So the explanation one of the explanations of the meaning of mitzvah of chale is that a person goes through life your dough, the dough represents your needs your parnasa, all the things that a person has needs for, the most central of which is food to eat so that represents all of a person's needs, a person goes through a physical, a natural process of planting, plowing and so on all of those things which it takes to bring in the, the dough to be able to make bread so a person can become, you know, uh, uh, reliant and imagine that it's because of what he does in the, in the physical world, in the natural process, that is what is providing his parnasa. And of course the reason is because we're surrounded by the natural world. That is what is so pervasive in our reality. So we become dependent on it. We become, begin to see it as where our blessing is coming from. So the mitzvah of Chala says, no, the first thing that you have to give is recognize that you are giving a gift to Hashem, that Hashem provided all of this, and therefore you're justifiably giving Him back what He gave you. And that all of the things that you're doing in order to bring in Parnasa, this is just a tool by which Hashem is able to send His blessing to you. When you look at the uh, the sin of Avedazara, it's also, even in the simple of understanding of it is, that it's a similar thing. It doesn't, it, doesn't only mean if a person actually bows down to a brick or to a, to a tree. That's not the only form of Avedazara. If a person begins to give importance to the stars and the sun, is the way that Rambam explains how Avedazara came about. You begin to see the, the, the sun as having power over the world because Hashem gave it the, uh, the powers to be able to cause things to grow and so on and, and all of those powers, that those uh, functions that it has. So we begin to imagine that it has some independent power of its own. Where the truth is, of course, that the sun and all, and all of the natural processes, all they are is a tool in Hashem's hands, that just like you wouldn't uh, thank a hammer, you wouldn't attribute any importance to a hammer that a carpenter is using to fix your house. You would all, we also know that everything in nature is just the tools by which Hashem makes the things that He wants happen, happen. And the truth is we have to understand the even more subtle idea, which is not only do they not have any power, but the truth is that nothing exists out of Hashem's only existence. The only thing that exists is Hashem. They only are creations of Hashem which don't really exist. It's only Hashem which drives them and causes them to exist. So all of these things are subtle ideas of how one can lose sight of what the truth is about Hashem's true existence. However, 
this is true, but when you look at the world around you, it's not obvious that all of this is just being run by Hashem, that all of it is only the existence of Hashem, and that they have no real power. It seems that nature does have a certain say in the matter. And not only that, it's not even obvious when you look at the world that Hashem is controlling it from behind the scenes. One could deny that too. It's not obvious that it's happening. Therefore, the existence of Avodah Zarah is a reality. In other words, at least a subtle Avodah Zarah. And a Yid has to come to the recognition and this is helped along by giving Chaleb, by giving the first of your efforts to Hashem that you recognize that there is Hashem is the one that's controlling the world so if you give the Chala then you are neutralizing that which the world proclaims to be independent if you don't give Chala then you substantiate I don't need to give Hashem the first of my labors and therefore you substantiate what the world is proclaiming and now that we understand that it becomes more clear why there is a difference between how much a baker has to give and how much a householder has to give. We know that there is, it's written that a, <clears throat> a businessman, a balasik, has more, is more in touch with Ashgacha Pratis than somebody that sits and learns. Because a businessman has, knows that in order for him to make a profit, the price has to be the right price. He has to buy cheap and sell high, buy low and sell high. And Hashem is the one that uh, causes the prices to go up and down. And he has to be in the right place in the right time. And there are so many things that have to come together in order to be able to be successful in a business. A person that's sitting in learning, he has a fixed income. Somebody writes him a check. He doesn't know where the money comes from. He doesn't understand. He doesn't see on a daily basis where it comes from. So he just takes it for granted and he doesn't see the constant which is needed to make that happen. So that's the difference between a householder, which is the wife that, uh, that bakes the bread. To her, it comes into the house. Somebody else is earning the living for the most part. And therefore, she needs, in order to be able to recognize that it, this is all the doing of Hashem, you need to give a little more, to 4% in order to make it you know, sink in, to allow it to sink in. A businessman, a baker, that his the reason he's baking is to make a profit he sees the constant blessing of Hashem that comes to him that he's able to earn a living from this therefore even a smaller amount 1 in 48, 2% is enough to drive home the message and when we give challah and we recognize and everything in our home runs and according with Hashem's will then Hashem sends his blessing into our home in every matter everything that we need in the home is blessed by Hashem